This is Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. of the FBI television series. What's in a name? If your friends call you Chuck, your name of Charles is Teutonic and literally means man. And because kings and emperors have borne this name, Charles has taken on a significance of greatness. Being a sergeant means you have rank derived from feudal days. But even then, sergeants, who were the right-hand men of the captains, did much the same work as sergeants do now. What's in a name? Plenty. Next, the golden days of radio. This is Frank Brzee welcoming you to the golden days of radio. Great moments from radio programs of the past with the world's most famous personalities. Those memorable moments when everyone listened to enjoy the make-believe world of radio. On this program, we are featuring an all-comedy show with Jack Benny, Bing Crosby, Amos and Andy, Lemon Abner, Baby Snooks, Bob Hope, The Easy Aces, and Fred Allen. The master of comedy timing has always been Jack Benny, and even on his 75th birthday party, Valentine's Day 1969, he had proved to his friends and to the television cameras that he was still the king of comedy. Listen to this excerpt, the evening he made a guest appearance on Bing Crosby's radio show. Let me alone, I'll get it, I'll get it. <laughs> Just a minute, hey, say you. Huh? Have you ever played this number before, bub? Played it? I yeah. made it. <laughs> well, I should have known Jack Benny. I certainly expected you tonight, Jack. But, Jack, I thought Mary was going to come with you. Where is she? Oh, she stopped by the Musicians' Union to pay my dues. Do you, be you belong to the Musicians' Union? Don't act so shocked. Well, then, I've heard of that. Of course, I belong to the Musicians' Union. I'm one of the charter members. You see, years ago, I had a little band. We all joined together. Oh, I know the group well. A fife, a drum, and a guy with a bandage around his head. <laughs> Bing, what I wanted to see you about is a business proposition. Uh, what are you going to do this summer? I'm going to take a vacation. Well, I've got an idea where you and I could combine business with pleasure. I'm afraid not, Jack. But, Bing, I mean, this is a chance to pick up some extra money. And that never hurts, you know. Oh, no, it's spending that hurts, isn't it? <laughs> that's, that's ridiculous. It doesn't bother me. Uh, don't knock it till you've tried it. <laughs> Well, Mary Livingston. <laughs> yeah, get a load of her all decked out like Mrs. Astor's horse. Listen, Mary, you never get all dressed up like that on my program. Well, how often do I sit on Bing Crosby's lap? Well, you're not on Crosby's lap. Wait till I get rolling. <laughs> Mary, just kidding, Bing. Nothing will happen. You keep out of this. <laughs> Listen, I've been thinking of this for years, and I might as well come right and, out and say it. What do all the women see in Bing Crosby? Look at him. <laughs> hey, he's, you know, he's got blue eyes like mine, you know. Blue eyes like mine. You can stop there, brother. Mary, all I want to know is, did you go to the Musicians' Union and pay my dues? Yes. All right, Mary, where's my card? Here. Just a minute, this isn't a musician's card. Oh, I forgot to tell you, they transferred you to the Plumbers' Union. <laughs> the Plumbers' Union? 
Your plunger arrives tomorrow. <laughs> Radio featured two comedians who had the most listened to program on the air during the late 20s and early 30s. They broadcast their program from Chicago every evening at 7 p.m. And they were so popular that motion picture theaters stopped the movie for 15 minutes. And across the nation, everyone listened to Amos and Andy. You know, Andy, it's a great thing for us, this job with the construction company. Oh, yeah, and I like that Mr. Carter, the head of the company. He sure was nice to us when he gave us the tools this morning. Oh, yeah, he is a real gentleman. I tell you, I never... Uh, I'll get him. Hello, George King V. Stevens speaking. Hello, this is Mr. Carter of the Carter Construction Company. Oh, yes, Mr. Carter, how's you this evening? See here, what are you and Brown trying to pull? Why didn't you show up on that porch wrecking job this morning? Uh, well, you see, we, uh, we, uh, uh, excuse me, you say something about slowing up on that porch wrecking job. I said, why didn't you and Brown show up on that porch wrecking job? Well, I, uh, 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 Miss Carter, uh, excuse me, uh, we got a bad disconnection here. Can't you hear what I'm saying? Yeah, I can hear what you were saying, but I know you ain't saying what I is hearing. Hello? Hello? Uh, look, Miss Carter, uh, the phone's all messed up here. I tell you what, I'll hang up and you call me right back. Very well. What's the trouble, Kingsley? Oh, I don't know, Andy. The phone is messed up or my ears done jammed up on me. <laughs> uh, you take the call when the man calls back. Uh, okay, I'll, uh, wait a minute. Uh, hello, Andy Brown speaking. Oh, it's you, Brown. Can you hear what I'm saying? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. You coming through fine. Good. Now, what is it you want to tell me? I want to know why you and Stevens didn't show up to wreck that porch this morning. I, uh... Hold the phone. Kingfish, get back on here. This man is all confused. Uh, hello, Miss Carter. Stevens back on here. Look, Stevens, what's going on? You and Brown are completely confused. We is confused. You is the one that's confused. We spent the whole day today wrecking the porch over at 4565 Amsterdam Avenue. 4565 Amsterdam Avenue? That's fine. Well, thank you, sir. That's just great. Yeah, we thought it was a nice job, yeah. The porch you were supposed to wreck was at 666 Riverside Drive. Uh, Miss Carter, is you there? Yes. Well, Miss Carter, this time, let's full hang up and don't nobody call nobody back. Abner, will you come over here and help me put this sign on the door? Why, sure, Lom. Just hold this nail in place while I whack it with a hammer. For quiet homespun humor with a country flavor, I think you have to turn to Lum and Abner as the foremost example. Their comedy was comfortable and always funny. Lom, suppose you hold a nail in place while I whack it with a hammer. <laughs> you think I'm crazy? <laughs> Trouble here is we're suffering from an oversupply of whackers. <laughs> Have you ever seen me hit anybody on the thumb with a hammer? Yes. Last summer when Opie Cates helped you put up the screens. Oh, that was just a little tap. 
tap. You smack that thumb so flat it looked like he's carrying around a pancake flipper. Why, he didn't even holler. He let out such a beller, all the fellers at the sawmill knocked off for lunch. <laughs> you stop exaggerating and hold that nail? Granny. Lom, you, you couldn't hit that nail no matter if your whole life depended on it. Oh, now, be quiet. Huh? Just this hold... is my page-flipping finger here, Lom. Be Just careful. Just hold the nail in place. Okay, here goes. How was that? Not bad. Just aim it two more feet to the left, and I think you'll have it. Yes, the trouble is the top of the nail is too small. You couldn't drive that nail if I stuck it in between my teeth and let you hit me on the back of the head. Don't give me any ideas. Now, just hold it in place. This time, I'll keep my eyes open. Good. I think one of us ought to know what's going on. You ready now? Yeah. Here it goes. Idiot, why don't you watch what you're doing? Abner Peabody, I didn't even touch that hand. I know you didn't. You got the one I had in my pocket. <laughs> one of the most nostalgic names in the American theater was Fanny Bryce. She came to radio in the 30s and leaped to success as the lovable Baby Snooks. Hmm. I was just trying to help you, Dad. Why must you torment me this way? Why can't you just leave me alone when I feel like playing the piano? Because I want to play, too. You don't know how to play. I can lay. <laughs> oh. Do you really mean that, Snooks? Yes, Dad. Because nothing would please me more. And if I teach you to play, will you practice faithfully every day? Mm-hmm. All right, darling. <laughs> Sit here beside me. <laughs> Who knows? You may turn out to be a child prodigy. Who knows? Now, before I give you the first lesson, suppose we try to find out just how much natural ability you have. How? Well, see if you can pick out a tune. Whatever music comes into your head. All right. All right, all right. We can forget the prodigy business right now. Shall I play some more, Daddy? No. Pay a little attention, Snooks. There are seven major musical notes in the scale. Where's the scale? Right here. Now listen. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, A. See this note? That's A. A what? <laughs> a nothing. A is just its name. Now what comes after A? B. And what comes after E? F. Good. <laughs> what comes after G? Wiz. <laughs> no. <laughs> Johnny fooling daddy. All right. What comes after G? H. No. After G, you start all over again with A. Now. A, A, A. What note is this? H. No. Didn't you hear me singing it? Well, it's it, A. Well, it sounded like A. <laughs> Another of the masters of comedy is the goodwill ambassador for the United States, Bob Hope. He started doing shows for servicemen in 1939, and he hasn't stopped to this day some 30 years later. Thank you, fellas. No whistling. We'll have the place loaded with dogs. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, here we are at the Pasadena Army Service Forces Regional Hospital. That's an ambulatory phrase, meaning don't step out the back door, Joe. It's a 100-foot drop to the sewer. Yes, sir, I've done a couple of shows in hospitals recently. I feel so much safer when there's a doctor close by. 
And this is a wonderful spot for a hospital. When a battle fatigue, face, uh, fatigue case comes in and they can't calm him down and make him sleepy the usual way, they just give him a pass to go into Pasadena. <laughs> Pasadena, that's the town where the curfew goes on at 12, noon. <laughs> no, but I want to tell you, it's a great place to live. Pasadena is a very quiet town. In fact, every time a soldier takes a walk, the Chamber of Commerce appoints a man to follow behind him and oil, oil his GI shoes. <laughs> Somebody ought to oil my tongue for a while. And Pasadena is really a ritzy town. They're so fussy here, the mayor meets the Greyhound buses at the city limits with a can of flea powder. So, Ritzy, I put a nickel in the Pasadena jukebox to play one meatball, and it came out one caviar croquette. <laughs> I saw one beautiful rich debutante here this afternoon, though. Boy, she was really loaded. She had money, too. <laughs> but these soldiers aren't impressed with the local register here in Pasadena. When they go out with a girl, they don't care about who's who. They want to know what's what, what's 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 what. This hospital used to be a hotel called the Vista Del Arroyo. That's a Spanish term meaning why sergeant. The young lady was just admiring my cast, and we got so engrossed, we must have strolled into Hollywood without knowing it. <laughs> who was it who said you've got to take the bitter with the sweet? Well, in radio, it was Jane Ace, one half of the comedy team of Jane and Goodman Ace. They kept listeners in stitches as the Easy Aces. And the first day I met Jane, uh, she was Jane Sherwood then. The first day I met her, she showed me newspaper clippings of all the plays she had been in at school. She read me how the uh, school paper critic had praised her performance in Hamlet. Jane Sherwood as the ghost was ghastly. Uh, she uh, read me a rave notice on her performance at Macbeth. Three girls played the witches, and they were quite gruesome. And uh, there were many other similar triumphs through her four years in high school. And there were many other similar triumphs through my five years in high school. <laughs> but uh, she gave it all up to marry me and become just a plain little old housewife. But do you think she regrets it? Yes, she does, now and then. <laughs> Even after 15 years of marriage, she started regretting it again the other evening after dinner. Dear, do you think I know Anthony Marshall well enough to go next door and ask him to give me a part in his play he just finished writing and he's starting rehearsal tomorrow, it says here in the paper? No. I knew it, I knew it. I knew you were going to say no. You're always throwing damp water on everything I want to do in the theater. Look, uh, <laughs> damp, this is a professional play Mr. Marshall's putting on. You're only an amateur. Well, I'll turn pro. I don't mind getting paid for it. You don't. <laughs> we can certainly use the money. Oh, now, just a minute. We live very comfortably in our modest way. Well, it's time we started living immodestly. Oh, hey, please. Is that why you want to become an actress? Oh, when I I read about these plays going into rehearsal, it does something to me. I get the smell of the old goose grease. Mm. <laughs> I want to get behind the footnotes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I want to see my name up in tight. Uh, look, uh, Runway. Oh, what? Did I ever tell you the story oh, about... Oh, no, you're not going to tell me that Mona Frisbee story again. Mona Frisbee and I both won a school contest to go to Hollywood. I know. I married you. I know you did. But she went to Hollywood, and after two years of hanging around the studio, she married a cameraman and then got divorced, 
and now he's a waitress in a drive-in restaurant near San Francisco, and she's doing very well with tips. So bring me a hamburger, plenty of relish, and no mustard. No, I mean, so a neighbor of ours writes a play, and you say don't ask him for a part in it? Well... Do you know that every actress in town would give her right name to be in his play? Jane, you're not an actress. Smile when you say that, dear. <laughs> Jane, you're not an actress. <laughs> you, of all people, to say a thing like that to me, of all people. To think that I would rue the day to hear you say it. To me, dear. Me, the one who's desecrated her life to you. Oh, <laughs> All my life, I worked my head to the bone to do things to please you. Oh, now, Jane, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. I always take up for you. If somebody says you're sarcastic, I say he is not. Oh, now, wait a minute. I'm sorry I even... Why said... even tell people you're handsome? Oh, isn't this? <laughs> well, what do you say to me? No, you can't do this. You can't do that. Stay home, you say. You're giving me an inferior complex. Oh, please, Jane, will you stop crying? I can't stand it anymore. I'm through. I'm through. Do you hear me? I'm through. Oh, Jane, don't carry on like that. No. Now, look, if you really want to try out for it, go and see him about the play. Is that all right now, Jane? Will you stop crying? So I'm not an actress, huh? What? <laughs> not much I can't. What? Well, see you later, dear. I'm going over to see Tony about his play. Another master of comedy was Fred Allen, and his Sunday night excursion through Allen's Alley will be remembered as one of radio's classics. I wonder if the senator is in. Let's knock. Somebody, I say, somebody knock. Yes, Clag I... Claghorn's your name, Senator Claghorn, well, that now, is. Look, I know. Something tells me you don't remember me, son. Look, I remember I'm you. I'm from the South. The Poon and Possum Paradise. Now, look, Senator. The only plant life I have around my house is a Virginia creeper. Now, wait a minute. Every time I get chicken pox, they're southern fried. <laughs> Senator. Remember me now, son? No. Don't say no in my presence. Why not? N-O, that's North abbreviated. <laughs> Wait a minute, Senator. What about this sleeping problem? Are you still uh, losing sleep, Senator? No, I've solved my problem, son. How? When I'm ready to sleep in the Senate, I sit back and croon myself my southern lullaby. What is your southern lullaby? Rockabye, small fry on the cotton tree top. When the southern wind blows, your cradle will rock. When the wind's from the north, I say, baby, you'll ball. For down will come cradle tree and you all. Well, very good, Senator. So long, Senator. So long, Senator. So long. Well, <laughs> the Senator stopped just in time. I was dozing off myself. Now, I wonder how Titus Moody is doing. Howdy, bub. You're <laughs> starting to sound like Dennis Day, Titus. Do you have any trouble sleeping? I only half sleep. Half sleep? I got short eyelids. <laughs> With short eyelids, you can't close your eyes, eh? Only when I frown. Oh, I see. Well, are you the only one awake on the farm? No, daylight saving time has got everything in a swivet. The animals are bewildered? Yeah, my cow had insomnia. Your cow didn't sleep at all? The bags under her eyes were so big, I didn't know which end to milk. <laughs> You were confused, eh? Yeah. First time I milked the wrong end and got two buckets full of homogenized tears. 
Well, have you cured the cow's insomnia? I got a book on hypnotizing. Good. I stood in front of the cow. Yeah. I stared right into her eyes. Uh-huh. I started waving with my hand. Uh-huh. I said, Alagazam, Alagazen, you ain't a cow, you're a hen. You're a you're a hen. Well, was your hypnotism a success? Yeah. Today that cow thinks she's a hen. Well, how do you know? Well, she's sitting on a nest. You mean? She's laying eggnogs. Come <laughs> on. Let's try, let's try this next door here. No. Oh, Mrs. Nussbaum. You are expecting maybe Hoagie Carbuncle. <laughs> Tell me, Mrs. N, do you have trouble sleeping? Who could sleep? Every night with his dreaming, my husband Pierre is waking me up. He dreams, huh? Always he has different things. Dreams he's different things? How do you mean? One night, Pierre is dreaming he is the lone stranger. Yeah. <laughs> All night long, he is yelling, Hi-ho, Silver! Hi-ho, Silver, huh? Upstairs is living a Mr. Silver. Yeah. <laughs> All night, he is yelling back, Hi-ho, Nussbaum! <laughs> He should drop dead. What? what happened? He is dreaming he is a tea kettle. A tea kettle, huh? All night long, Pierre is whistling. Whistling? In the morning when he is waking. Yeah? In bed with Pierre is 20 dogs. <laughs> well, that, uh, that brings us to the lavender shanty at the end of the alley. Let's try here. You knocked three times. Do you think that's nice? In my last picture, the postman rang twice. Ah, ah false, Dad. Tonight we are discussing the problem of sleep. My poem awaits your bidding. And what is your shut-eye sonata called? My recipe for slumber. How does it gee? If you cannot sleep at night and you don't know what to do, my recipe for slumber is just the thing for you. Don't waste time taking powders. Don't bother counting sheep. Don't dawdle in a hot bath hoping you will sleep. Don't give up drinking coffee. Don't send for any gland man. You can eat and drink all night, and still you'll meet the sandman. My recipe for slumber is older than the Sphinx. Just cut 20 tiddlies into halves, and you'll get 40 winks. Well, that concludes this edition of the Golden Days of Radio and our salute to comedy. And here's a fact from Uncle Sam's Almanac. Your favorite television show was made possible by sciences of many nationalities, but Americans pioneered the first public use of TV in 1930. Today, the United States has over three times more TV sets than any other nation, and it leads the world in all forms of telecasting. This is Frank Brzee in Hollywood, California, inviting you back next time for more great moments from radio programs of the past. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio Service.